Welcome to San Francisco Ballet's Meet the Artist. My name is Katherine Barkman, and I'm a soloist at San Francisco Ballet. This podcast series of Meet the Artist interviews is your chance to get to know us, the dancers, musicians, designers, and choreographers at SF Ballet, as we discuss our lives, the process in the studio, performances on stage, and more. Join us for Meet the Artist interviews live and in person in the Opera House before Friday and Sunday performances, or tune in all season long to hear podcast recordings of San Francisco Ballet's Meet the Artist interviews. Enjoy! Welcome to this evening's Meet the Artist interview and welcome to this evening's performance, opening night, program two, British icons. I want to encourage anybody who's coming in to just feel comfortable moving down toward the front because these don't have to be your assigned seats and this makes it possible for us to feel more like we're having a conversation. I'm Mary Wood for San Francisco Ballet. I'm just delighted to be back again this year and to see so many friends. This evening, I'm just delighted that my guest is Britton Day, who is the pianist who will be playing the score, the Liszt piano score, for the second piece on the program, Marguerite and Armand. So thank you, Britt, for being with us. I haven't done anything yet. No. <laughs> Um, I want to just give you a little context about Britt. He has deep roots in the local music scene. His, both of his parents... Oh, she says, speak louder. Louder. Thank you. Um, yes, both of Britt's parents um, have played and recently retired from San Francisco Symphony. Um, he went off to get a Bachelor of Music degree at Oberlin Conservatory and then returned to get Master of Music and a Professional Studies Diploma in prof Piano Performance, which is very impressive, from the San Francisco Conservatory. Good job. This is all true, yeah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> in addition to being an accomplished performing pianist, he's currently on the accompanying staff of the conservatory, accompanies around and, importantly for us, is listed as one of the three San Francisco Ballet class accompanists, which I think is my favorite thing about you, <laughs> which is an amazing job. Um, he's devoted a great deal of his career, well, recently I'm learning, um, devoting his accompanying career to dance. And uh, he will may, may tell you he got his start accompanying at ballet with Miss Tilly. Some of you will, for some of you that will resonate. Right? So um, I want to just start by saying, um, Britt, as an accomplished, accomplished pianist, how did you uh, find your way into dance or ballet accompaniment? All right. Um. <laughs> I just kind of said yes a bunch of times, to be honest. Uh, I had gotten connected with a woman named Andy Yanon, who worked downstairs at the school. Um, I had been playing at the conservatory a lot for her husband, who was the former principal clarinet in the orchestra, who I'd kind of known as a little kid. 
And then after graduating from the conservatory, I got them to hire me, which was really awesome because I continued to be able to go to lessons, except I was getting paid, which is kind of the dream to get paid to learn. Um, anyway, I got in touch with Andy and she brought me in to go observe some classes at the ballet school downstairs. And I, I sat in on some classes with Jamie Narashen. If anyone was across the street, you might've heard him playing cocktail piano for the toast. Um, and he's just one of the coolest people in the world and also an incredible improviser. And after three days, I was pretty sure that this was not the job for me, actually. It's, uh, improvising is not really my bag. I'm getting a little better. But he passed my name along to Martin West, who called me up a few months later and asked if I could play some Nutcracker rehearsals. So I learned as much of it as I could. He gave me a like 300-page score with the entire ballet, and it's like, hey, learn like all of it if you can. Learn as much as you can, uh, which was terrifying. And I, I showed up to to play for him just a, a couple, like a week or two before the rehearsal started, and I was I was trying to play Waltz of the Flowers and play everything in the score because many reductions take the entire orchestra score. So I'm adding all this filigree, like everything you hear in the woodwinds, and you know, Martin says, you, you know they don't need to hear all of that for the rehearsals. <laughs> like, you can play the tune and the harmony, and that's all they need. And I was like, oh my god, how many hours have I spent trying to do everything in this entire score? Um, anyway, so it went okay. You know, it was a really intense two weeks. I had no idea what the dancers were doing. I was pretty much in my score, trying to look wherever I could. Uh, I didn't know what any of the ballet terminology meant at the time. I'm getting there too, but uh, it was intense. And at the end of the, the two weeks, you know, Martin said, hey, like, you could end up doing this if you wanted. And I was like, yeah, right, man. <laughs> but that's awesome that you think so. Uh, I'll see you later. Uh, a year later, he calls me up to do another Nutcracker. Uh, a couple months after that, he called me up to come in and play some Sleeping Beauty. And then in fall of 2019, I came in and did some Sandpaper Ballet. Oh, I, learned, I learned all of Sandpaper Ballet, which was super, super fun. Uh, the composer is the guy who wrote the music for Sleigh Ride. Yeah. So it's fun oh, stuff. Right. And I, I had a really good time doing that and then went to the Burning Man immediately after. He asked, <laughs> Martin, Martin asked me at the end of the week if I could come back the next week. And I was like, sorry, man, I'm going to Burning Man. <laughs> uh, did that for like six days, left a little early. And then as soon as I got back into cell phone range, I had a text from Martin saying, hey, can you come in Tuesday? It was like Saturday and play Cinderella. I was like, yeah, we, we could try that, sure. Um, I had the score already, and, you know, I'd be listening to recordings and kind of preparing everything as it was coming for each rehearsal. And then three days into that week, Martin let me know that one of the company pianists had been injured and was unable to work for three months, and that he wanted me to do the next three months, uh, effectively working full-time there. Um, so I learned most of Cinderella, all of Midsummer Night's Dream, and then about half of Romeo and Juliet, as much as I could. Um, and then came back in February of 2020 <laughs> and did all of the rehearsals for Midsummer. And that was kind of my like 
unofficial audition mm -hmm. for the role of rehearsal pianist. A little bit of class too, but yeah. mostly re rehearsals are the fun part. And uh, class is fun too. It's all fun. Um, yeah, so that happened and then Midsummer opened, had one show, as you may remember, and then everything shut down. So fast forward a year and a half, it's July of 2021. I get another call from Martin. Hey, can you come in work full time? And here I am, and three years later. Are. Yeah, playing this list sonata for everyone. <laughs> so it's it's kind of wild, and it was just a kind of a natural progression of just being around and making myself available, and uh, failing a lot in front of everybody until I started to get to the hang of things, which I think is uncomfortable, but also the only way to learn when you're plunged into one of the best companies in the world with almost no experience. So it's it's been a wild ride to get to this point. Well, I want to say, yes, that's a wild ride. Um, one of the outstanding things about our wonderful company and our wonderful staff is that the classroom accompanist, the rehearsal accompanist, is also a very, is required to be, so I'm skirting a compliment here, but um, is required to be a very accomplished um, concert pianist because many of the works in our rep require a, a substantial piano part, as in, and here we are. Go on. <laughs> um, Marguerite and Armand, which was created for two this Liszt piano sonata. So we're gonna move to Liszt and Marguerite and Armand. And as the rehearsal accompanist, as the rehearsal, a, a musician who is designated to play it, you were in rehearsals from the very beginning, I understand, and I would love to hear a little from you. Um, we wanna talk about the music itself, but I kinda wanna hear a little bit so that the audience can get a sense about just the ballet itself coming together and, and how the score supports a story like this and so on. Sure. Um, do you guys already know the plot? Has everyone kind of looked at their... Give them so. the, cliff, the, 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 the elevator speech. Uh, a man and a woman fall in love and the circumstances aren't great. And, you know, she dies. <laughs> Spoilers. Uh. Well, we, we could actually jump in and say, based on the Dumas, Lady of the Camellias. True. And for many of the rest of us, it's the same story as La Traviata. Also, uh, Moulin Rouge, which I've okay, never seen, but it's all the same right, story. Right, right. Yeah. And uh, so the legend has it that Frederick Ashton, who choreographed this, wanted to tell that story. He's like, I want to tell the story of the Lady of the Camellias. I need a piece. I'm, I'm looking for music in which to tell this story. And a friend of his gave him the LP for the Liszt B minor piano sonata. And he listened to it. And in the first listening, he was like, cool, I know exactly what I'm gonna do. This is it. And he kind of had like a pretty rough outline of the entire ballet on the first hearing. And, and I think you guys will you'll notice it tonight because there are a lot of things this this piece wasn't necessarily written to be a ballet you know this is one of list masterpieces but when you hear it there's a, a lot of just insane extroversion love passion rage and then also like dialogue like 
wildly opposed instances that happen next to one another that work honestly pretty perfectly with the story yeah. that, that is being told on the stage. Um, and it's definitely informed my conception of the piece. Mm -hmm. um, specifically, Grant Coyle, who staged the ballet, came in in July. So we, we do everything twice here at the ballet, and or I believe it was August, but Grant had such a comprehensive idea, and he was just really, really good at communicating the musicality behind all the steps that it made it very easy for me to learn how to play the piece as well, because it was new to me. I'd never learned it before, and I'd kind of crammed it as fast mm -hmm. as possible to have it ready for the first round of rehearsals. And a lot of it um, was informed by Grant's timing and the way that he would always count everything very musically. And it was incredibly helpful, especially during the slow sections, because the music's rather expansive at times, and, and sometimes you'll see a theme just repeated again, and then again, and then again, and again, and in a vacuum, it's like, how am I going to treat this? And then when you have dancers in front of you moving, it, it kind of anchors you in, you know, literally physical motion. So that was uh, kind of wild. It's, it's been crazy to learn this piece, which is a piano sonata, and then have it connected to movement and a story. Mm -hmm. What was the question? Um, <laughs> that was basically off. it. That was it. I was going to jump in and say Sir Frederick Ashton, who created this in 1963, um, was looking for a vehicle for Margot Fontaine, who had just formed this incredible partnership with Rudolf Nureyev. And that was going on in one half of his brain. And this um, telling the story of Marguerite and Armand had been brewing in the other half of his brain, and it, it just came together. The other thing I wanted to underscore about Sir Frederick Ashton <coughs> is that in any liner notes, any biography you read about him, the first thing, this, the second sentence, is his musicality. Mm -hmm. And we're f at San Francisco Ballet familiar with a number of his works that are really different. Um, we did La Female Gardet, which is goofy story ballet. We did um, Monotones 1 and 2, which is set to the satie, um, uh, and, and the other half. Take your word for it. Thank you. Um, anyway, just, but just, we are very familiar with Balanchine, and we're familiar with Balanchine's legendary musicality. Ashton's a little bit, just comes at it from the other side, from a different angle, but extraordinarily musical. So neat to hear that that was how, you, how it was transmitted to the dancers and how you picked up on it in the, in the working. Well, yeah, and there's, there's a lot of, uh, especially for, there are some really, really wonderful, slow, intimate moments in this ballet where the, you know, I'm supported by orchestra, which is a whole other aspect That's of it. That's our next paragraph. We'll get, we'll get there in a sec, <laughs> I promise. Um, but every now and then, in the, in the most intimate moments of the piece, the orchestra drops out and I'm alone. And I'm down there, I have a little monitor so I can see what's happening on stage. And we've rehearsed this, you know, 
really intensively, especially with Joe and Misa, who you're going to see tonight, because we played a, a portion of it for the gala as well. And just kind of figuring out each other's timing where all of my arrival points are, are pretty much set. And if there's something that needs to stretch or in the moment, you know, I'm not going to do anything crazy. But I do, uh, it's nice to play this music with uh, a lot of musical freedom because the steps kind of allow for breath and expansion. And hopefully you guys notice that tonight on the second half of the program. One of the things that um, struck me as sort of curious and interesting, um, clearly in 1963, Sir Frederick Gashton and the Royal Ballet staff didn't think that solo piano could carry it. So <laughs> they added an adaptation by orchestra. Mm -hmm. And th that's the first half of the question is, what's that all about? The second half of the question is, I now counted three different arrangers in uh, things that I've read. Yeah, I read the, the Wikipedia piece. article. And I'm curious about how that all, if it matters at all. Most um, importantly, what's the orchestra doing that the piano couldn't do? It's just adding like raw power and mass, to be honest. I, I would say, you know, I, I think this would still work if it were just piano. Um, I might be a little biased as the pianist, but I, I do think that the piece is complete with solo piano. Uh, however, to me, I don't know, I've been laughing about this analogy, is I, it feels like if I'm like a, like a really nice Mercedes, me playing the piece, then the orchestra is like rocket boosters welded to the side of it, taste super tastefully, in that it just it just <laughs> it just adds so much mass, and it really has been uh, thrilling um, to add to to put it to orchestra, which we've only done this week. Is uh, we we just have been rehearsing with orchestra and running it for the past like four days, really, and it's. Uh, it's it's pretty fun. There there are certain things that you cannot do as a soloist, where it's like if I'm spontaneously taking time in in some way, like can thirty people all read that? Mm -hmm. um, so that's it's kind of been a, a bit of an adjustment for me in terms of just like clarity and consistency of time. Um, but at the same time, you can kind of ride the wave of the orchestra. And once once we're all going, then it's it's like an interesting security blanket in a way where I'm surrounded by sound, and also like it's coming back at me too because in all the rehearsals I'm generating all of the sound, and so and and now I have all this input around me as well, which has been really really interesting. So I I think it's nice. I think it's effective, and I think I'm having more fun as a result just yeah. because it's it's truly massive at times. And it was already massive when I was playing at 11. <laughs> yes, well, it's neat to hear you say the, the word fun. Um, we have arrived at a point where we traditionally open up to the audience if you would like to ask questions of Britt. Um, I wanted just to remind anybody who came in after we started and after I introduced 
we were talking to Britton Day, who is obviously the pianist for Marguerite and Armand in this, uh, this program run. Um, so I'm going to listen, we're going to listen to the question. I'm going to repeat it for the recording, which will become a podcast, by the way. So you can find a repeat of this conversation if you want to catch something you might have missed. Um, let's start with a question, and yours right here. This is always a good question. Do you feel the difference in your playing depending on the different casts? Um, yeah, it, it's subtle, and I think the the momentum of this piece is is pretty consistent. But yeah, you know, I, I learned when when I started working here that like taller guys require a slightly slower tempo because their legs are longer and they jump higher. I was like, oh my, wow, you know, these are this is stuff that I never would have thought about. So yeah, there there are subtle differences. I'm I'm mostly doing kind of the same things and we've all worked it out where there's you know in built into the flexibility of of the music itself it's generally very similar but yeah every now and then like certain sections are maybe slightly slower or slightly like, slightly quicker depending on who's dancing it and you've mentioned that you have a monitor which and i have a monitor helps. i have a little tv <laughs> down next to the piano That's so i'm, so I'm cool. checking in on them as we're as we're going another question somebody over on this side um, did an orchestral adaptation already exist, or did uh, Sir Fred have to go commission it? You know the answer. Do you have any research on this, though, Mary? Uh, have you checked this out? <laughs> um, I actually believe that, yes, <laughs> that. Um, Why don't you talk about it? <laughs> the Sonata existed independently, and when, as I said, when they conceived the notion of making a theatrical piece, there was a sense that the piano simply couldn't carry it. We might disagree, yeah, but false. that was the thinking at the time. And so a, they commissioned an orchestral, ad, um, uh, what would we call it, support, mm -hmm. amplification. And I, as I said in my research, I found three separate composers. Gordon Jacob was one of them. Um, right? and the, the current one is, I believe the last name is Searle. Dudley Searle, I believe. And Paul I think that was yeah. later on, actually. Mm -hmm. There yeah. have been a couple different yeah. versions. This is the one I know. Right. And it's pretty nice. I'm not complaining. But the piano music is the same. The piano music yeah. is unchanged. And that, that has also been a really nice aspect of my preparation for this piece is because although I'm supported by the orchestra, the, the music for piano alone is the complete work. So I've been able to, you know, call up people, go over to their houses, have them come over and perform the piece in, in order to help prepare for this. Because, you know, there's like a lot of, there's a lot of you here. There's a lot, of, there's a lot going on yeah. on stage. It's a lot of responsibility. So it's been, a, it's been a treat to just be able to practice for this on my own and present the work as a whole to anybody with a piano, if that makes any sense. That's great. But, yeah, I believe that yeah. this it was commissioned specifically yeah. Yeah. To, to juice up the piano for this performance. So we have time for one more question, and then we have our classic hard stop. You have one minute. Oh, okay. There's also, <laughs> the I, I do, like, I got a little track sidetracked. I do want to talk about, like, three important things in the music. So very, very quickly, he tells me to do it. He shows up and conducts me and says, do this. 
and then I do it. The, it kind of a crude answer, but that's how we coordinate it. He comes to the rehearsal and and lets me know how it's going to go and and conducts me through it. Literally conducts me through it. But yeah, before we stop, okay. this is really important. Um, pay very close attention musically to the very beginning of the ballet. And the good news is there's not too much happening on stage because the very first 30 seconds that you'll hear of music state three musical motives, one after the other. The first is ascending scale. The second is kind of a ferocious explosion followed by, uh, in the left hand, uh, a rather devious series of notes which symbolizes her coughing. Um, but these three components comprise almost all of the musical material that you'll hear throughout the entire piece. It's one of the things that really makes this a masterpiece. In the very first 30 seconds, there's three events, and then the rest of the music recontextualizes them in a myriad of ways, and it'll either go from kind of demonic sounding to completely sublime. And it's the same notes, just used differently, different harmony, it's crazy. It's been so fun to work on this. So I, I feel like I should leave you with that, just a little Perfect. something Perfect. to hold on to as this piece, the very beginning. Pay attention. <laughs> seconds. Genius. Don't be distracted Genius. by the beautiful dancers. No. Um. I want to say thank you all. Um, thank you, Britt. This has been really fascinating, and I'm really looking forward to seeing it another couple of times. I hope Thanks. everybody is going to be able to do that. Yeah, I hope you all um, enjoy and of course, Song of the Earth is its own wonderful story. I know you will enjoy it first, and then Marguerite and Armand. Thank you, and enjoy the performance. Thank you for listening to San Francisco Ballet's Meet the Artist. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. To learn more about SF Ballet or to attend in-person Meet the Artist interviews and performances, visit sfballet.org. See you at the ballet.